Would you take your Bibles and join me this morning in John chapter 15, please? As we continue our journey through the gospel according to John on Sunday mornings, last week we talked about abiding in Christ. And the question was asked, are you a fruit-bearing Christian? When God inspects your life, does He find fruit which proves you are abiding in the vine? If you abide in Christ, the Bible says you can have joy. And that your joy will be full. There's a lot of blessings of being in Christ. Joyous Christians are abiding Christians. Joyous Christians are fruit-bearing Christians. And there's much more we could say from those verses than we did last week. But let's move to another thought today and begin by reading verses 12 through 14 of John chapter 15. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now verse 12, it's a repeat of John 13, 34. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. But since Jesus mentions it twice, I'll mention it twice. <laughs> That's good enough, amen. As a reminder, Jesus said in John chapter 13, in verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Our love for Christ is what distinguishes us as His disciples. It's what separates us from the world when we have a love for Christ and a love for each other. And our church needs to be known as a loving group of believers. We shouldn't be identified as a bunch of backbiters. A group of people where there's all kinds of infighting and if you'll join us, you can join in in the family feud. That's not how we ought to be viewed. We need to be known for our love for the brethren, our compassion for the lost. And I say, let's just be as welcoming as we can to whoever comes in this door. Now, Jesus defines the height of love for one another in verse 13. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The greatest display of love for one another is to lay down your life for your friends. It's an amazing thing when someone will give their life for somebody else. Just so they'll have opportunity to continue to live. It's not a frequent occurrence, but when it does happen, we elevate those who have done so to um, given their life for another. We elevate those people, and rightfully so. We speak of their courage and bravery, their selflessness. In the military, they are sometimes awarded the Medal of Honor, our military's highest honor for acts of valor. And so how great is your love this morning for the brothers and sisters here in Christ? Is your love real enough for your friends that you would die for them? Look, I realize that it's one of those things that you may not really know until you're faced with it. I, I get that. But do you love one another in here today to the extent in which God is calling you to? God may not call you to die for your friends, but He's called you to live for them. And if you're living, are you living to the extent in which God has said, this is how you treat your friends? How great is your love? 
Is your love real enough for your friends that, that you would willingly say, I'll go the extra mile with you? Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, Paul wrote, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to have those who would stand by him through thick and thin. And that's one of the great things about ministry I'm finding on this side of the aisle is you learn that there are those who will stand back to back with you no matter what. Those who will walk through the fire. Those who would help you through obstacles of ministry. Those who will help you fight the spiritual enemy for the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul knew what that was like with Priscilla and Aquila and some others he mentions that hazarded their lives for the cause of Christ. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, I don't know how far God may ask us to go with Christ. I don't know how far He'll ask us to go with our friends in Christ. But if we love the way Christ loves, then we won't hesitate walking with somebody every step of the way. Every step of the way. And, and what about our relationship with Christ? Are you ready to die for Him? Greater love have no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Are you willing to die for Christ? As of right now, and statistically speaking, God may not call you to die for Him while you live for Him. But don't think it can't happen in America. It already has. There's an article posted on foxnews.com by Todd Starnes on October 2nd, 2015, entitled, The Day Christians Were Martyred on American Soul. This particular shooting took place on October 1st, 2015. The article reads, Life or death was determined by the answer to a single question. Are you a Christian? That was the question asked by an anti-Christian gunman who stormed into a classroom at Oregon's Umqua Community College. Eyewitnesses say the shooter targeted Christians. Courtney Moore was inside the classroom. She told the Roseburg News Review that the shooter ordered students to get on the ground and then told them to stand up and state their religion. And they would stand up. He asked if you believe in Christ. And he said, and if they answered in the affirmative, he said, good, because you're about to go see him now. Stacy Boland said in a televised report, and then he shot and killed them. His 18-year-old daughter was struck in the back by a bullet that traveled down her spine. She survived. Miss Moore, too, survived. Davis Jock, publisher of the Rosenberg Beacon News, said he received a text message from a student who said she was inside the classroom. The shooter was lining people up and asking if they were Christians, the message read. If they said yes, then they were shot in the head. If they said no or didn't answer, they were shot in the leg. Christians were martyred for their faith on American soil, a fact most, mostly ignored by most of the mainstream media in the White House. It was later reported by OregonLive.com that the shooter, Chris Harper Mercer, age 26, left a six-page manifesto stating, among other things, the following, quote, Though we may have been born bad, society left us no recourse, no way to be good. 
I have been forced to align myself with demonic forces. What was once an involuntary relationship has now become an alignment, a service. I now serve the demonic hierarchy. When I die, I will become one of them, a demon, and I will return to kill again and again. After embracing what he described as Satanism, the shooter went on to say, quote, human life means nothing. And he proclaimed that his success in hell is assured. The day may come when you're called upon for your ultimate test of your faith in Christ. And should that day come, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. So I'd ask you this morning, is Christ your friend? That's all that's going to matter in the end. He's either going to say, enter thou to the joys of the Lord, or he's going to say, I never knew you. Is Christ your friend? He laid down his life for you. Would you be willing to do the same? Acts 21, 13, then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm thankful that overwhelmingly so, God is not calling us in this, this hour to die for Him, but He is calling us to live for Him. Amen. He wants us to live for Him in a way which demonstrates to the world that we are willing to die for Him. But whether we live or die for our faith, may our earnest expectation and hope be that Christ is magnified in our lives. Look at verse 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now this isn't to say that Christ's love for you is dependent upon a keeping of a set of rules. But this verse is telling us that we know we are Jesus' friend if we have love for another which is the command that he just gave in verse 12. And so take it in context. But of course we love him. If we love him, we'll have a desire to follow his commands. Now aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, you're my friends if you have enough in common with me? You're my friends if you know enough about the Bible? You're my friends if you put enough money in the treasury? Aren't you glad he didn't say that? But that's often how we make our decisions about our friendships. I'll be your friend if you share all the same interests as I do. I'll be your friend if you know enough about what I like. We can understand some of that. But hopefully you're not to the point where you say, I'll be your friend if you have enough money. <laughs> Amen. Don't do that. True lasting friendships are anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ and our love for one another. However, if you build your friendships upon what interests you, then it will become a very shallow, selfish friendship based upon what you're getting out of it. Because you have to have enough in common with me in order for me to get anything out of this. Everybody with me? And so it becomes very selfish. And it's not based upon your love for another. I have very little in common with my closest friends. 
Brother Long and I have been friends for 19 years. He's a, a dear friend of mine. I consider him a best friend, in fact. And, and Brother Long, he could come over and, and he could tell me there's something wrong with my carburetor belt, and I'd probably believe him because I don't know anything about cars. And he could tell, tell me that my halogen fluid's low, and that's why my lights don't work. And, and, I, and I could probably say, Brother, this is how you throw a spiral, and he could care less. Everybody with me? But friendships aren't based upon those things if you want long-lasting friendships. Now, I'll listen to Ken, and I'll go check and see if I got a carburetor belt and come to find out I, I don't even have a carburetor. And, uh, and so, but I'll tell you this, what, what has kept lasting relationships, and I've known many of you now for 19 years. I've been coming around these parts since 2001, here for eight years the first time, went up to North Dakota for three years, went to Mississippi, kind of lost touch there for a little bit till we came up in 2014. God moved us back in 2015. I've known a lot of you a long time. You knew us before we had kids. What has kept us friends? How can I still be friends with Jeff Russ? <laughs> How is this possible? It's not because we share all these same interests. I got some stories I could tell you, though, in our deployment to Diego Garcia. You owe me $1,500, by the way. Um, <laughs> how, how is that possible? It's because these friendships are not built upon whether or not we share common interest in the secular world. It's whether or not we share Christ. And if you'll build a relationship upon Christ, you'll have lifelong relationships that last. It's anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why I got off track there. The reason why I have very little in common with my closest friends in this life is because I have no skills. <laughs> Who amen that? Hey. Amen, Johnny. I, I, I have no skills. I, that's not a joke. I, I'm not very mechanically minded. I, I'm not business minded. I don't have any interesting collections to take you to my house and show. I, I don't have any interesting hobbies, and I'm not knowledgeable about much. <laughs> and as I was typing that up in this message, I thought, man, I'm really an uninteresting person. <laughs> and it's kind of depressing. <laughs> I could talk to you about the weather as a former meteorologist. Um, so if you come up and talk about I could bore you to death with everything, but that's not going to get us anywhere. But that which I have in common with the closest friends is our love for Christ. And therefore, it's our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you'll get friends who have a love for Christ and for the brethren, you'll develop friendships which last a lifetime. And I don't mean those who have the same level of knowledge as you in the Word of God. Because that can also become a selfish relationship and we say, well, I'll be your friend, but you've got to be up to my level. Unfortunately, there are those who conclude, if you aren't up to my level spiritually, we just can't be friends. But imagine if we decided to be friends with those who we could help grow and those who could help us grow. Wouldn't that be good? Um, you know, we ought to have those who are our friends who need to grow spiritually. And we need those around us who help us grow spiritually. I bring this up because there are churches who send the message that if you're not up to our level spiritually, 
You're not welcome here. You're not as advanced as we think you should be. And you're not growing because you've obviously compromised. You've obviously got some sin in the closet. You've obviously got something you're not dealing with. And so you just need to move along. I don't ever want to be that church. I think a healthy church ought to have those who are grounded and those who are just learning to live. There ought to be those who are fighting addictions and those who have gotten victory. There ought to be those who have gotten victory can help those that are fighting it. There ought to be a mix of people who are coming in here and some of them are like, what in the world are y'all doing? What are you shouting for? And, and then there ought to be other people who say, I know I'll shout, glory to God, woo! There ought to be a mix. A healthy church. Let's be as welcoming without compromising. Amen. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Bible friendship isn't based upon external, tangible things. But it's based upon the heart. And you see, that's how Christ loved us. He didn't say, you can be my friend if you're up to my level. He didn't say, you can be my friend if you'll do all these things over here. He just said, look, if you'll love one another, you'll demonstrate that you're my friend. Because now people can see you have love for the brethren. And that's how Christ loved us. He loves us from the heart. He doesn't love based upon what we're able to contribute or how popular we are. Or how talented we are. He loves us just the way we are. Amen. It's a great feeling to know that there are those out there who will go to battle with you. That will stand back to back with you as we all try and fight the good fight of faith. But I want you to understand you have to enlist to get friends like this. It's hard to be friends with someone when one is in the fight for the Lord and the other still loves the world. James 4, 4, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now we could spend weeks doing a series on friendship. That's not really the intent here. But the common ground for lifelong friendship has to be Christ. Love for the brethren. And here's why. Those external things fade. I don't look the way I did the last time I said hut, hut. Our bodies break down, our strength wanes, our careers fade. And all that remains, listen now, is our faith. That has to be the common ground. Now, I want to go back and look at verses 13 and 14 with an eye to Christ. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I commanded you. We know here that Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is soon to come. Jesus is about to lay down His life. And so He tells them there's no greater love than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. But I want you to understand this morning, please get this, Jesus went beyond just dying for His friends. He died for His enemies. He went beyond just dying for friends. What other gods, little g, do you know of who have laid down their life for their enemies? So that their enemies may live and become their friends through reconciliation. It's uniquely Christian. God Almighty, our Creator, who didn't owe us a thing, robed Himself in flesh to live a sinless life, to be the perfect sacrifice, so that we sinners who were born at enmity with God could be saved. 
Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We couldn't save ourselves. We were without strength. We were ungodly. We were born sinners and without hope in this world apart from Christ. We needed one to die in our place. But scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Some might even dare to die for a good man. But get this. In the eyes of God, we weren't born righteous and we weren't born good. Job 15, 14 says, What is man that he should be clean and he which is born of a woman that should be righteous? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We were neither righteous or good. What hope did we have? What hope was there that someone would die in our place? But God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I was altogether unprofitable. I didn't understand the depth of my depravity. I didn't do any good. I didn't seek after God. But there came a day when God came looking for me. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For for the Son of Man has come and seek and save that which is lost. He came looking for me. And while I was yet a sinner, Christ loved me and sought after me. And I came to realize that Christ died for me. Not just to take me to glory one day, but because He desired to be my friend. I understood clearly for the first time that my salvation wasn't a place, but it was a person. And when you understand that God Almighty gave His life just for you, it will change your life for all eternity. You'll want to spend the rest of your fleshly life living for the one who died for you. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ is the one who suffered. He was the just for the unjust. It truly was his life for mine. His heart was broken. Mine was mended. He became sin. Now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free. His scars of suffering brought me healing. He shed his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. He was despised and rejected, stripped of his garments and oppressed. And I'm loved and accepted and I wear a robe of righteousness. His life for mine, how could it ever be that he would die? God's son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine he gave his life for me. Thank you for singing that this morning. He did the greatest work of love anyone has ever done for me. My mom loved me. She labored to bring me into this world. My parents loved me. They gave me a good upbringing. They sacrificed for me. But there was one who died for me. 
He gave his life for me, and greater love hath no man than this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you understand this morning that he had nothing to gain but one thing? He had nothing to gain but you as a friend. God wants to be your friend. People have the audacity to say, I don't think God loves me. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He died for you. He gave his life for you. What a thought. Many times when someone lays down their life for another, it is done very suddenly with not much time to think. But I want you to understand that Christ is the lamb which was slain from the foundation of the world. His death was calculated. He willingly laid down his life for us. Perhaps you've heard this illustration, many have, of the father, his son, and his son's friend who went sailing one day. After a few of the usual Sunday evening hymns, the church's pastor stood up, walked over to the pulpit, and gave a very brief introduction of his childhood friend. An elderly man stepped up to the pulpit to speak. A father, his son, and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast, he began. When a fast approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright and the three were swept into the ocean. The old man hesitated for a moment, making eye contact with two teenagers who, were the first, who for the first time since the service began were looking somewhat interested in his story. And then he continued... Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the line? He only had seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian, and he also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of waves. As the father yelled out, I love you, son. He threw the line to his son's friend. By the time he pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beyond the raging swells into the black of night. His body was never recovered. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting straighter in the pew, waiting for the next words to come out of the old man's mouth. The father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus. And he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his son. How great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. With that, the old man turned and sat back down in his chair as silence filled the room. Within minutes after the service ended, the two teenagers were at the old man's side. That was a nice story, politely stated one of the boys. But I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. Well, you got a point there, the old man replied, glancing down at his worn Bible. A big smile broadened his narrow face. And he once again looked up at the boys and said, It sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I'm standing here today to tell you that that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. You see, I was that father, and your pastor is my son's friend. Yeah. Now that's just a story. And, and the difference in reality is this. God didn't have to make a snap decision. His decision was made before he said, let there be. 
from before the foundation of the world, the decision was already made. But the story does illustrate how it doesn't make sense that God would save His only, uh, would, would let His only begotten Son uh, go through the, the wrath of God so that you and I would never have to die. God forsook His only begotten Son to save us. Jesus endured the wrath of God for us. Jesus is the lifeline. God has thrown it out today to any lost and dying soul that will say, I'll grab hold of it. His life for mine. How could it be that he would die, that God's son would die to save a wretch like me? What love divine. He gave his life for mine. Let's pray.